Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now Sardis is also in Turkey. As I've mentioned before, all of these seven churches are uh, in, a, uh, in an oval area, and they're not very far from one another. Um, and they, it is uh, speculated that they were part of a Roman postal route. Uh, Sir William Ramsey was the first, to my knowledge, to suggest that. Uh, Sardis is, is located on the banks of a river, Pactolus River, uh, in western Turkey. It's 60 miles inland uh, from Ephesus and from Smyrna. It's on top of a large hill called an Acropolis. And I've heard the word Acropolis before are most famous in Athens, but it's actually, it's a Greek word for any large hill. It's called an Acropolis. Uh, well, this one is about 1,500 feet high, and Sardis is on top of this hill. It's a fascinating, it's one of the better uh, ruins. Now, not many people get to Sardis, uh, only basically, I talk, talk to tour guides, and only Christian groups uh, occasionally uh, that are interested get get to Sardis. Turkey, by the way, has uh, more archeolo- biblical archaeology, biblical ruins, than any other than any other country, I believe, even even more so than uh, than Israel. Uh, I don't know, but it's, it's up there with Israel. I'm not going to make that statement, but it's uh, I was told anyway that it had more more biblical ruins, but it certainly has a tremendous number of them. And uh, Sardis is certainly one of them, and it's very well preserved. It's uh, a lot of it's been reconstructed. It's like a mini Ephesus actually, uh, but it's again not many people get get to go there, so we were blessed to do that. It was a very large city in the province of Asia Minor, a very old city, a city of, uh, in fact, there's a, a the uh, a synagogue there is is uh, quite well restored. It's not, a, it doesn't have a roof, uh, but it's, you can still see the mosaic floor. It's intact. I have movies of that. If ever, anybody's interested in seeing that, just uh, drop me an email and I'll, I'll uh, put, put a link up to the movies, uh, but uh, I took a lot of movies in Sardis, because it's quite, quite interesting. A lot of, uh, you can still see uh, 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 Star of David uh, that they carved into a rock, and, uh, and in, some, in some cases you'll see both in Ephesus, and I'm not sure about Sardis, I'd have to go back and look, but uh, 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 when uh, Christianity became prevalent, uh, the, uh, particularly in the Roman Empire and under Constantine, uh, Christianity became uh, uh, was no longer persecuted, became an official religion. Uh, they would 
put a cross in the Star of David. Uh, so you can still, we saw some of those as well. Um, but it had a long history of barbarism. It was a city of mercenary soldiers full of robbers and murderers, is what we're told. Uh, Sir William Ramsey, who I mentioned before about the postal route, um, uh, Christian archaeologist, he called Sardis the city of death, quote, more like a robber's stronghold than an abode of civilized men. And in a peaceful and civilized age, its position was found uh, inconvenient. Is the British way of saying it. In other words, it was a very bad place uh, to be. And uh, he says, in the Roman period, it was almost like a city of the past, a relic of the period of barbaric warfare, which lived rather on its ancient prestige than on its suitability to present conditions. Now, at the time our Lord sent this letter to them, Sardis had a population estimated at 120,000 people. Uh, now, that's a big city in the ancient world. It's a lot of people. Uh, it uh, had a long history as a thriving commercial center. It was located on the famous Silk Road, which was a trading route that went all the way to China from Turkey. Uh, Sardis was known for its wool production, uh, first place where gold and silver coins were minted, the very first place in the world where coins were ever minted. Um, it was the... Uh, Uh, king My oh, the home of the legendary uh, King Midas, uh, he was supposed to be from Sardis. Uh, and the historical king from Sardis uh, was Croesus. And you may have heard the, who was the real King Midas. If you've ever heard the term riches Croesus, uh, that's the Sardian king. Uh, and it had, as I said, a large Jewish settlement. Uh, the synagogue is the largest ancient synagogue ever discovered, uh, and which we uh, were able to visit. The Lord for that, sure. Sardis was a center also for the worship of the goddess Sibylle. Uh, now that name is familiar to you. We learned about her when we studied the churches of Ephesus and Smyrna. Sibylle was uh, the one that had female priestesses, not the male, they didn't have male priests for Sibylle. Uh, they also, uh, although uh, uh, at, least, at least in Sardis, I believe that. Uh, um, we made a reference to the worship of Sibylle having some male priests uh, some time ago uh, where they actually, uh, uh, but they were, um, they mutilated themselves and then they dressed in women's clothes. So I don't think we regard them as male priests. Uh, they also led the people in very sinful ceremonies with wild music, drumming, dancing, and all the things you would expect. Um, the, uh, um, and I mentioned that uh, their diet for the priestesses was, uh, I, I, I'm sure you couldn't forget that, figs washed down with uh, pregnant mare horse urine. Uh, Sibley was called the mother of the gods, uh, the savior who hears our prayers. Uh, again, uh, parallels with, obviously, the Virgin Mary. Uh, who is called the Queen of Heaven, the Mother of God, co-redeemer. Uh, some credit Mary as having with Jesus the power of redemption. Uh, and that's a very big uh, movement within the uh, Roman faith. Uh, uh, James Wiley says in his book called The Papacy, quote, the same worship is rendered to Mary as to Christ. Churches are built to her honor. Her shrines are crowded with devotees, enriched with their gifts, and adorned with their votive offerings. 
for prayers are addressed as to a divine being, and blessings are asked as from one who has power to bestow them. Her worshipers are taught to pray, spare us, good lady, and from all evil, good lady, deliver us. Uh, in Roman Catholic countries, the dawn is ushered in with hymns to her honor. Her praises are again chanted at noon, and the day is closed with an Ave Maria, or Hail Mary, sung to the one they call the Lady of Heaven. So we have, uh, in fact, the Pope just uh, this week, uh, in his uh, homily in Cuba, uh, dedicated Cuba to the care of uh, Mary. In his commentary, William Barclay says that even among the pagans, Sardis was a name of contempt. Its people were notoriously loose-living, notoriously pleasure-loving. Uh, Sardis was so decadent that the name Sardian was a slang put-down for homosexual, even if the person wasn't from Sardis. You were, you were a Sardian, that was a great insult that you were, you were homosexual. Sardis is said to be the first city in that part of the world that was converted by the preaching of John. And some say the first city that revolted from Christianity, one of the first that was laid in ruins. And, of course, there's no church there anymore. And most of these, uh, all of these ruins, there's no church active if they're ruins. Uh, just a, a small um, Turkish village called Sart, which I, I found rather interesting that they... Uh, uh, the name of the village is Sartre, S-A-R-T-E, and uh, the famous philosopher, uh, Sartre, the French philosopher who was a total pagan and uh, uh, atheist. Uh, so there's, uh, there's some weird little connection there, at least in my mind. Uh, they, uh, they, they worshipped Sibley, they had other pagan religions. Uh, they were into the healing power of the gods, uh, that the gods had the ability to restore life. Uh, two miles outside of Sardis, there was a hot springs, and they thought this is where the gods manifested their life-giving power. So they went to the hot springs to get life. Uh, but it, Christ said, it's a dead church. You're dead. You, you think you have life. Remember, he says in, in the letter, you think you have life because you go to these hot springs to get this life? Well, you're a dead church. You're dead. Um, I know your deeds. You have a name. You're alive. Uh, when he says you have a name, that means you have a reputation, uh, you're, that you're alive but you're dead. I know your deeds reminds us how that Christ knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows what you do. He knows what you think. He knows what you say. Uh, so he says, I know your deeds. Uh, and he doesn't commend them. There isn't anything here to commend them for, except there you know, are a few people. You've got a few people. That's, 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 that's all we have for you. Uh, it basically was populated by unredeemed, uh, unregenerate people who were playing at, playing at church, basically, playing at church. Uh, the Lord is addressing the minister of a dead church. Remember, these, these were to the uh, st uh, um, angel of the church, which means the minister, uh, the elders. Uh, Maybe they grew soft and lazy. Maybe they didn't have the persecutions that the other churches had because persecutions strengthen the faithful. The old saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When people are sacrificed, other, other Christians are emboldened, uh, and they, they fight even stronger. You, you, cannot, you cannot destroy Christianity. Uh, and it's, I have read, it's, I've never thought too much about it, but I've read that, that, if, uh, that Christian martyrs Christians were the only ones who will go and, and be burned at the stake alive 
rather than give up their faith. And you rarely find that, if at all, in other faiths. Uh, now, Jesus identifies himself here as him that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, which is the language of Revelation 1.14. Or, excuse me, 1.4. Well, the seven spirits are said to be before the throne. Okay, well, seven is the biblical number of completeness. So this is imagery. They're not literally seven spirits of God. We know that. There's one spirit. Uh, one spirit who does many things. Um, in Isaiah chapter 11, there's a sevenfold description of the Holy Spirit, uh, which could be, could be uh, what is, is being referenced here. Uh, in verse uh, 2 uh, in chapter 11, um, we, we meet the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord in, in Isaiah is described as the Spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of strength, knowledge, and fear. So those are six um, characteristics of the Spirit of God. Adding those six to the title Spirit of the Lord gives you a sevenfold spirit. And that, of course, is the Holy Spirit uh, in, the, in the fullness, the completeness of, his, of how he uh, uh, ministers. Uh, not seven separate spirits, but seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. So he is the sevenfold spirit. Um, the emphasis being the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The sevenfold spirits of God. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he has the seven stars, he says. That is the the seven angels, messengers, ministers, uh, pastors of the seven churches. He has them. He says, I have the seven stars. He just didn't say, well, they, they're there. I have them. They belong to him. They are his property, his servants, and they are first and foremost to do his will. And to judge by the condition of these churches, uh, most of them, they weren't doing what they ought to have been doing. Uh, certainly the pastor of the church in Sardis was among the worst of the lot. Now, the letter begins differently than the others we've looked at. In them, first Christ first commends something good about them uh, and then exposes their sin. But in this letter, he starts out with a strong condemnation. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, a reputation, that thou live and art dead. So it's so bad that he first and foremost lays out their real condition. You think you're a true church, but you're dead. Got news for you. You're dead. Nothing to commend. Remember, this message is directed to the minister of the church, to the elders, and then to the members. Uh, the Sardian minister was well-known, apparently, but he had been grown lazy. He no longer maintained his life of grace. Uh, he is famous. He has a name that lives, but only in popular opinion. In the opinion of the one that counts, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is spiritually a dead man, and thus his church is dead as well. Nothing has changed today. I mean, today we have our famous televangelists, uh, the Jim Bakers and Jimmy Swaggerts and Robert Tiltons and the rest of them, uh, many more known only to God, celebrity ministers who have proven themselves to be spiritually dead, getting in all sorts of scandals and the ministries falling apart and the 
the, the Roman Catholic Church has just bought the uh, Crystal Cathedral uh, in California. Um, what's his name's church? Robert Schuler's church. Yeah, because it went into bankruptcy because that ministry has fallen apart because Robert Schuler wouldn't talk about sin. He said, I don't like to talk about sin. And that's what happens to churches that don't follow Scripture, don't preach the whole counsel of God. So our Lord says to the Sardis minister and us to the church there, you think you're a living church, you're a dead church. Not dying, you're not dying, you are dead. No resuscitating you. This could be a letter written to many churches today. Uh, unredeemed people in them, unregenerate, indifferent. Deadness is the result of uh, of, of sin. You know, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins, it says in Ephesians 2.1. Deadness is a result of sin. Uh, and certainly playing church, church is one of them. Uh, now, it's, there are a lot of churches that still have some light from their shining past. Some great churches that had a great, glorious past. They still have the name you know, I think of a, a, you know, the mainline Presbyterian church. They still call themselves Presbyterian, but if you know anything about them, you know that they're, if not a dying church, a dead church, or if not a dead church, a dying church. Um, so a sim symbol of a dead church, a certain kind of church today. So as we look at this letter to the Sardis, we're not only learning history, but we're dealing with relevancy for the church today. It's teaching us teaching us. It's entirely possible for us to be in a church that has exciting worship and soul-stirring music and, and uh, lots of Bible studies for different age groups and programs and activities and worship styles, different service times and, you know, great upbeat sermons and comedy and such. All the trimmings of the modern evangelical church, but the Lord might be saying no. No, you're part of a Sardian church, a dead church, because it's man-centered, it's seeker-sensitive, it, it's uh, worried about how many people are going to show up and what's the collection basket going to look like this week. And did we, you know, did we, did we make enough uh, to you know, make the payments on the uh, elders' Mercedes this week? Uh, it, it's not focusing on the truths that might offend people. You know, have you, I, I was in a... Reformed Church, where they say, "Well, we we don't we don't tell people about predestination, certainly not reprobation, but we don't touch predestination or election because that would offend people. Uh, we, we, you know, we'll talk to them privately about that, but they never get around to doing that. Uh, so that that's a symbol of a dying church." Uh, he says, "How dare you tickle the ears of men? How dare you invent your worship styles?" And to those who attend such churches, he says, how dare you judge a church based on what makes you feel good? Now, you should feel joy and happiness, but it should be through the worship of the Lord. Uh, not, oh, I like the beat of that song. You know, we sing that more often. Uh, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment, said the Lord Jesus in John 7:24. Judge according to God's word, not your feelings. And if you do that, then your feelings will come along. You know? It's not, you don't put your feelings first, put God's word first, and then your feelings will come along. 
So the charge against the church in Sardis is hypocrisy. From outward appearance, it has the appearance of being a living church. Um, according to church historians that I consulted, it was once a flourishing church, noted for its fidelity to the scriptures and doctrine and worship. Its people knit together in true love and bonds of fellowship. But Satan crept in. How, we're not told. We don't know. Maybe it was the Nicolaitan heresy. Remember that one, where they're basically the Christian hippies. Uh, but in, in, in however he did it, Satan crept in and as a result killed off this church. And what happened? Well, as we talked about last time, false doctrine. And then they got false worship because false doctrine leads to false worship. Uh, there were just a few who remained faithful to Christ. By the way, in, in doing research on the sermon, I typed in Sardis in Google. And one of them that came up was a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Sardis Presbyterian Church, PCUSA. <laughs> Tell me the Lord doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah. Can you imagine them calling themselves the Sardis Presbyterian Church? I don't know if there, maybe there's a town named Sardis and they named it, you know, after a town in North Carolina or something. But wow. 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 So he says, you're asleep, you're dead, be on guard, take the few people that you have left, listen to them, or, you know, your church is about to, you know, or has gone off the deep end, use these people, uh, put the few faithful people you have left on the session, and get rid of my enemies, that's his advice to them. I say they hadn't done that, they weren't on guard against the wolves. Let's turn to uh, Acts chapter 20, please. Acts chapter 20, in verse 28, this is Paul's charge to the elders at Ephesus. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, so Paul is talking to the elders of the church of Ephesus. And you can apply this to, to Sardis as well. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to every church, and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day, with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Paul's charge could, could be the charge to, to every church, and certainly the Sardian church needed that terrible, or terribly more. Watch and pray, Jesus said in Matthew 26, that you not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Now, quit is an old-fashioned word. It means be strong. Act like men. 
Be men of courage. Stand fast in the faith and watch. Do a concordance study on the word watch sometime. The people of the Sardian church failed to watch. You can't just go to church and that's it on Sunday. And, and You've got to watch. You've got to watch yourself. And you've got to watch the church itself. And if you see heresies creeping in the church, then let the elders of the church be made aware of that. Uh, or maybe they're not heresies. Maybe you're her her you're, they're orthodox and you're, you've got some heresy. Well, we need to know that too. Uh, but watch, watch and pray. People of the Sardian church didn't watch. They didn't guard against the wolves who had come into the flock. They failed to watch against their own sins. Uh, they were deceived. They thought they were part of a living church. Oh, our church is fine. It'd be interesting to go back and say, well, what, what kind of church? Oh, you've got a great church. You've got a great minister. You've got great songs. You've got you know, all this stuff going on. It's a great church. Well, maybe they thought they were part of a living church. Maybe they thought of themselves as meek. Maybe they thought meek meant being more pious than the next person. You know, what we call holier than thou. And they think, oh, that's being meek, you know. Uh, maybe you've met some people like that. A praying saint who never opens his eyes to the evil around him. He's got his eyes closed in prayer all the time because he's so holy. You know, that he's so heavenly minded, he's no, of no earthly good. See, piety of that sort is not Christianity. It's simply disobedience to the Lord who commands us in Matthew ten sixteen, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And you may have heard me say before, I know a lot of Christians who've got the harmless as doves part down really fine. <laughs> but the wise as serpents? You know. Well, wimpiness is not meekness. Wimpiness is not meekness. Being holier than thou is not meekness. See, the biblical definition of a meek person is one who does God's will and is therefore is patient, humble, long-suffering. Who is the meekest man in the world? What does the Bible say? Who is the meekest man in the world? Moses. Moses. Yet, remember how he dealt with the insults of Korah and his men? He stood up to them. He stood up to the most powerful man in the world, the pharaoh of Egypt. He organized and led a march through a hostile, dangerous land with millions of people, very complaining, difficult, rebellious people, for 40 years. See, you think he could do that if he was a wimp? You may have read the email I sent out this week. What was Moses going to do with two, two to three million people in the desert? How much food does that take? Well, according to the U.S. Army Quartermaster General, Moses would have had 1,500 tons of food every day. It would take the equivalent of two freight trains, each at least a mile long, every day to provide that food. And they were out in the desert, so they'd have to have wood to cook the food. But you're in a desert! Where are you going to get the wood to cook the food? Move where the food is. You take 4,000 tons of wood 
and a few more freight trains, each a mile long, just for one day's worth to cook the food. And they were 40 years wandering around. Oh yeah, and they have to have water. If they only had enough to drink and wash a few dishes, the quartermaster estimates it would take 11 million gallons of water every day and a mile-long freight train made up of tank cars to get that water to them. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, not a mile long, 1,800 miles long to bring 11 million gallons of water every day. They had to get across the Red Sea at night. If they went on a narrow path double file, the line would be 800 miles long and would require 35 days and nights of constant marching just for these people to get through. So there had to be a space in the Red Sea three miles wide so they could walk 5,000 abreast to get over it in one night. We read about this, we don't think about these things. But there's another problem. Every time they camped at the end of the day, their campground had to take up the space of two-thirds of the size of the state of Rhode Island, 750 square miles. Now, did Moses figure all this out before he left Egypt? <laughs> he trusted in the Lord, and he took care of those things for him. And, of course, the end of that email says, now, do you think the Lord has any problem taking care of your needs? <laughs> so... And it ends with, so when the road you're traveling on seems difficult at best, remember, keep on praying and the Lord will do the rest. Well, let's, let's close with that. I think that's a, a good way to close it. Let's remember, remember our difficulties, the meekest man in the world. Remember the difficulties he had to face, the trials he had to go through. The incredible logistics. How could, that, how could that have been done? It couldn't have been done except through miracle after miracle after miracle that the Lord provided. So let's, let's always remember that and compare our problems and our situation to that and trust in the Lord. Let's, let's go to him in prayer.